As Frank said, we are beginning a new series today that's called Ears to Hear, and that is not a fancy title that we came up with around a table. It is the words from Jesus and the story that we are going to look at today in the book of Mark, chapter 4. We think this is a really important series for us to do as a church. We're coming up on another series in the spring that's called A Living Hope, and it is going to be a walkthrough of the books of First and Second Peter, where Peter is writing to a church who is being persecuted. He's writing to a church that's having to hold on to the hand of Jesus even when it's not comfortable or easy. And that is what we want for our people. We want for our people to have a living hope in Christ that they can hang on to as they navigate life. But the issue about having having a living hope is that you first have to have ears to hear. We have to be able to respond rightly to Jesus. And that is what we're going to be talking about over the course of the next three weeks And we are a people who love to respond. And this is really easy to recognize because I've been on Facebook. And on Facebook, we respond to all of the events of life. We respond to elections and games and birthday parties and news and events. And we get on there and we put our philosophy or our opinion or our thoughts or our feelings. And we put them in these strong words that we would only write because they're on a keyboard. And then people respond to our response. And when people are happy with our response, they get on and they say, I'm so glad that you feel this way. I'm so glad that you're on my side. This is the greatest post I've ever seen. Like. And then when people don't like what you've written, they get on and do the opposite. And they get on, they rip your post to shreds and they talk about how they wish they had never even met you. We love to respond and these companies know this about us. And they've given us all these wonderful inventions that we can, we can interact with each other and respond to what's going on. They've given us this great thing called a 24-hour news cycle. And they put people behind desks, talking heads who have opinions and who want to share them very vehemently all day, all night. And they spew these takes, and they don't even have to be grounded in fact anymore. They just have to say them because people watch, because there's something deep down within us that loves to respond. And I'm not just talking about you, I'm talking about me. I love to debate. I love to fight. My parents always thought I would be a lawyer. I've got some debates that I like to engage in. One of my favorite ones is who is the greatest basketball player of all time? If you are of a certain age, you know that the answer is Michael Jordan. And if you are under a certain age, you happen to have the wrong answer. Because there is no question whether I'm on Team Michael or Team LeBron. I have a favorite quarterback. I have loved Peyton Manning for as long as I've been watching football. I watched him at Tennessee. I watched him with the Colts. I watched him with the Broncos. I don't root for any of those teams, but I've always rooted for him. I believe he's the greatest quarterback who's ever lived. And then some people get in my face and they have the audacity to mention the name Tom Brady. doesn't work for me. I'm team Peyton. But then there's some debates that get a little bit more personal. They get a little bit more, you know, uncomfortable to talk about. Do you, do you get your news from CNN? 
Do you get your news from Fox News? You know, we, did, you, did you vote Republican in the last election? Did you vote Democrat in the last election? You, now we're starting to get a little uncomfortable because these are things that you know, people have very, very strong responses to. And I mention all these things because at the end of my days, it doesn't matter whether I'm Team Mike or I'm Team LeBron. It doesn't matter if I'm Team Peyton or Team Tom. It doesn't matter if I've gotten my news from CNN or from Fox News. And it doesn't matter whether I voted Republican or Democrat. At the end of my days, there's only one question that my response matters to. And that is, what have I done with Jesus? And Jesus knows that that is the response that ultimately will matter. And so we talk about responding to him in the parable of the sower in Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 20. So turn with me there as we begin in Mark 4, chapter 1. It says, Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat, and it sat on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. So let's picture our context. You have a a group of people who have gathered to listen, and you have someone who is set apart a little bit, although he is not on a stage. He is on a boat. Now, this is just a quick aside. As someone who has motion issues, the fact that Jesus could sit on a boat and teach like this blows my mind. has nothing to do with the story. That's just free. And he was teaching them many things in parables. Okay? So what is a parable? A parable is a short story or illustration that has a deeper, more significant meaning that goes along with it. In fact, when you look up parable in the dictionary, it'll tell you a a definition that's very close to that, and then it'll say, i.e., like Jesus in the Gospels. This teaching style has been so um, mixed with him that he's even in the definition of the word. And so he's going to tell a story with a deeper, more significant meaning. And in his teaching, he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. Now, over the course of the next few weeks, we're going to talk about the different soils that are. Each week, we're going to cover one of the three. We're going to cover the path and we're going to cover the rocky soil, and we're going to cover the thorny soil, and we're going to compare and contrast it with the good soil. And so this this time he's saying, behold, a sower went out to sow. Now this is the beginning of this parable, and this is an analogy that we understand. We understand this agricultural analogy. Now they really would have back in the day. It was a complete agricultural society. But we still live in Kansas, right? We're the wheat state. We understand what it means to go out there and to sow seed. And so we've, a lot of us, we've even done this. And so here is the, here's the parable. Behold, the sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Okay? So the sower went out, and he had his seed, and he went out to the, the places he's going to sow, and he cast some of the seed, and it went on to a path that was hardened, and birds came down and took the seed, and it went away. Well, it's a very, very simple story, and we understand the meaning of this. Some of us probably have even experienced it. I know in the fall and the spring, I get out my little rotary spreader, and I pour either my fertilizer in, I pour my grass in, and I pretend to know how to set that number to the right setting. And then I walk up and down on my lawn, and the rotary spreader does its thing, and it casts the seed, and we're, 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 we're making hay, right? 
only some of the seed and some of the fertilizer goes on the driveway. And some of it goes on the sidewalk. And this makes me upset because it's not going to, it's not going to live out its intended purpose. Seed and fertilizer on the driveway and on the sidewalk does not accomplish anything. And so Jesus is telling the story. The seed goes out, it's cast on the path, the birds come down and get it, and they're like, okay, we understand that. Now skip a few verses down to verse 8, and Jesus talks about the good soil. He said, and other seeds fell into the good soil, and it produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. So come over to the other side, and we're still casting seed. It's still the sower. He's still casting seed, and now some of it has landed in good soil. It's been able to go in. It's been able to go deep. It's been able to sprout roots, and it grows up, and it produces. It bears fruit, thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And we understand this. Even I, who cannot grow anything, sometimes get some grass to grow. Sometimes the seed goes in and it does exactly what it's supposed to do and it gets the fertilizer and it gets the water and it gets the sunlight and it actually produces what you plant. And so this agricultural society hears this analogy. Some seed is on the path, some seed is on the good soil and they're waiting to understand what's next because this they understand. And this is how Jesus finishes. And he said, he who has ears to hear let him hear. That's it? Like, that's, that's what we get? We just sat through your, your four soils, and like, that's the explanation? He who has ears to hear, let him hear? We already understood the soils. And there was confusion. And not only were the crowds confused, the, the people who followed Jesus the closest were confused. We pick back up in verse 10. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive, they may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. That's hard. We don't know what questions they asked Jesus, but we're guessing they were trying to understand a deeper meaning of what's going on. And he said, I I give the secret of the kingdom of God to you. I'm going to explain this to you. But to those outside, it's in a parable because it's not their time yet. Because if I gave them everything now, if I gave them the the full exposure to what I'm teaching now, they would hear and they would see and they would turn, they'd be forgiven. So why would Jesus do that? Jesus knew it wasn't time yet. As you read through the book of Mark, time after time, he'll, he'll do a miracle. And he'll say, don't go out and tell what you saw. Speak to no one that I am the Son of Man. Jesus knew that these things happen in the right season, in the right time. And it wasn't the time yet for this crowd to understand. They weren't, it wasn't time yet for him to become king. And so he didn't tell them the answer, but he told the disciples. Verse 13. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. 
And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And so the parable started with a, with a sower going out to seed and he cast the seed on the path and the path was hard and the birds came down and took it up. And his explanation is sometimes the sower goes out and the message of the Lord goes out. And due to the circumstances and situations that are going on in the person's life, due to the evil one who seeks to steal, to kill, and to destroy, who roars around like a, like prowls around like a roaring lion seeking who he can devour, he comes down and does not allow them to hear. And that is hard. And that could be a little bit scary. But if we're honest with ourselves, doesn't it make a little bit of sense? Have you ever wondered how you can sit in a message? How you could sit under the teaching of God's word and something can resonate so deep down within your soul that it produces fruit? That it produces transformation and change, but the brother or the sister sitting right next to you gets nothing? I've often wondered as I've communicated, what is it that when I'm sharing my faith or I'm sharing a story or I'm sharing a passage, how come for some people it just unlocks in them and it produces something and the person right next to them, they wish I would just sit down. That's because of this principle of the path. There are people when they hear a message from the Lord, they are just hardened And whether that's through the stuff going on in their life, whether that's the the evil one preventing them from hearing in this circumstance, they reject the teaching, they reject the message because ultimately they want something else. And God gives us sometimes exactly what we want. He then continues and he closes this section with the good soil. He says, but those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. And just like the sower came over to the good soil and he, he threw his seed and the seed began to grow up and produce fruit, so the word of the Lord goes out sometimes and it lands into a receptive heart. It lands into a good soil where it could go down and take root and begin to grow, and it will produce fruit. The Word of God always produces fruit in our lives. So we have these two soils. We have the, the path and the good soil. So let's talk about how they're alike and how they're different. What about the seed? Is the seed any different on each path? Well, not in the parable. In the parable, the sower went out to sow and he cast the seed over here and he cast the seed over there. The seed is the same. And for us, the seed is the same as well. It's the word of God. It is the message of the gospel of Jesus. And we sometimes we get sowed over here on the rock or the hard path and sometimes it is sowed over here in the good soil, but the seed is the same. And what about the sower? Well, God may use a different sower over here or over here. He might use different men and women to communicate his message, but the ultimate sower is the same. This is not a message that man has made up. 
This is not something we sat in a room and we thought was a good story. No, this is the message of God. These are the very words of God. This is the son of the living God who came down and took on flesh and lived a life that we could not live and died a death that we deserve to die and rose to new life. He is the sower and he is the same on both. So what is different? What is different is the response. Sometimes we are hardened and we are over on this path and for whatever is going on in our lives, we reject what we hear, we reject the message and we refuse to change. And sometimes we're over here and we're on the good soil and we hear the word of the Lord and he begins to produce fruit in our lives. Now we're doing this message at both campuses this weekend and as Jeremy who's preaching right now over at Highcrest was, we were putting together this message we were a little worried that it didn't have a lot of hope in it. That sometimes a message goes out and people just can't hear it. So we began to talk about what we wanted to communicate, what we wanted to share, and I really like where we landed. And it gave me hope, and I hope it gives you hope as well. We want to look at a couple of biblical examples of people who are in Scripture who we could say were anti-God. You have Pharaoh, and you have Paul. Both of these people were against God. They were against the word of God, the truth of God. They were against the people of God. And they had different circumstances in their life where they had to make a choice. They had to make a response. And so let's start with Pharaoh. The Pharaoh that we see in Scripture is the son of the first Pharaoh we meet in Exodus. And that Pharaoh, it says he did not remember Joseph. He didn't understand why we had all these Israelites, these Hebrews running around, but he saw them as a threat. And so he chose to enslave them. And these Hebrews were used to build his temples and his palaces and his pyramids. And they were treated subhumanly so that his name may be made greater. And after a period of time in his reign, there was a man who had been living in the wilderness tending sheep, walked in, and his name was Moses. And this was the sower that God used to sow his seed, and this seed was, let my people go. They need to leave your country, they need to go into the wilderness where they need to worship me. And so Pharaoh had a choice that he had to make. Over on the other side, you have Paul. But when we meet Paul, his name is not Paul. His name is Saul of Tarsus. And Saul of Tarsus was a Hebrew's Hebrew. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was brought up in the ways of the law. He knew it backwards and forwards. He was a rising star in their faith. And he hated this movement called the way. He did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah, the chosen one, the risen one, and he sought to persecute all who would call on his name. When we meet Saul of Tarsus in chapter 8, he is presiding over the execution of Stephen. When we continue his story in chapter 9, he has a warrant in his hand heading to Damascus to arrest and persecute and execute believers in Jesus. And on his way to Damascus, a great light shone down on him. And a voice called out to him, Saul, why are you persecuting me? 
He had a seed and he had a sower. And so how did they respond to this message that came into their life? Well, Pharaoh's seed was let my people go and his sower that God used was Moses. And Pharaoh's response was to harden his heart. He said, no, why would I do that? Why would I let my free labor go? Who is this God? No, you're going to stay and you're going to work. So through Moses, there began to be plagues. There was the river Nile turning into blood. There were gnats and there were frogs. There were all sorts of bad things that happened. And after each one of the plagues, it says that Pharaoh hardened his heart. That he refused to give in to these circumstances. And between plague five and plague six, the language shifts. And it went from Pharaoh hardening his heart to the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. You see, the Lord looked at Pharaoh and said, Thy will be done. Have it your way. After the tenth plague and the loss of his firstborn son, he scattered the people out of Egypt. He kicked them out and they gave them the loot. And as the people were, were escaping to their freedom, he had second thoughts. And Pharaoh decided to pursue the people, to overtake them, to bring them back, to enslave them again. And as the people made it through the Red Sea, he charged through too. But while, but while the Lord was saving his people, Pharaoh was annihilated in the Red Sea. He had a seed, he had a sower, but his response was to harden his heart. What about Saul? Saul of Tarsus got hit with a blinding light and he said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It was Jesus himself who spoke to Saul. And his response was, who are you, Lord? He says, that is I, Jesus, who you are persecuting. And he took him and he sent him to Ananias' house. And at at Ananias' house, it says something like scales fell from his eyes. That he was able to see clearly who Jesus was. And then Ananias was to show Saul how much he would have to suffer for his name. And suffer he did. And this Saul of Tarsus made his choice. And his choice was to let his heart be melted. And be conformed into the image of Jesus. And this Saul, who was once the greatest persecutor of the day of that church, is now the one who took the church into many different regions. He was the one who took this message of the gospel across the known world at that time, and he wrote a lot of our New Testament. All because his heart was softened, and he responded to the call. And so what do we do with this? Well, I think we need to answer the question, who are you? Who are you? Are you Pharaoh? Or are you going to be Paul? I believe in a room like this, there are people in here who are definitely Pharaoh. Who find themselves here with a hardened heart against God with a hardened heart against all the things that he has tried to communicate to them in in, in their lives, and they believe that they don't need Jesus, that they don't need God. They believe that they're good enough on their own and they can survive on their own, and that they're good enough to save themselves from their own sin. 
And if you are here and that is you and you have been hardened, my prayer is that you would repent. My prayer is that you would turn. My prayer is that you would be softened. Because this is the only response in your life that ultimately will matter. This is a life or death decision. This is not just a cute, do you want to be Team Michael or Team LeBron? In the book of Revelation, it talks about a great white throne judgment. It talks about every man is going to have to stand in front of his creator, in front of God, and have to give account of his life. And those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life will be saved. All of those who have trusted, not in their own self, because they have realized that they are plagued with sin, that we have gone our own way. But all of those who have trusted in the person and the work of Jesus who have believed that Jesus died a death for them to pay for their sin and that he lived a life smashing death and killing sin once and for all. When we trust in him, we get forgiveness. And I would urge you to repent. In the book of Acts chapter 2, Peter is preaching a message and he is preaching only a few weeks after the resurrection and after the crucifixion. He is preaching to people who knew of Jesus but did not believe in who he was. And he says, you killed him. But he did not stay dead. He rose from the dead on the third day and it changes everything. The one who holds the power of life and death in his hand is now calling you to repent. And Peter said this in Acts 2.38, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sin. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. If you are here this morning and you have been hardened, you have believed that this message has had nothing to do with you and has nothing for you, I pray that you would turn and that you would wrestle with the claims of Jesus and seek out someone to have a conversation with. You might find yourself today and you say, no, I'm, I'm Paul. I'm that good soil. I was walking in my own way and my own path and the Lord found me. And the seed went in and it has grown. It is beginning to sprout and it is going to bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. And what I would urge you to do today is to continue to bear fruit. At the end of Acts 2.38, he says, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. When you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, he begins his work in you that is transforming you into the likeness of Jesus No longer will you resemble the world. No longer will you resemble your flesh. No longer will you resemble you. You will resemble him. And the way the Spirit does is he bears fruit in your life, and that fruit looks like this in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. It is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Regularly audit your life by the fruit of the Spirit. Do you see those things growing in your life? And as you see those things growing in your life, you can have faith that you are bearing fruit and that you are looking more like Jesus. 
If you're here and you are bearing fruit, I have a hunch that there is something about this message that still doesn't sit well within you. Because there's something about this message that doesn't sit well with me. And those are the names that come to my mind. Those are the names of the people that sound a lot like Pharaoh to me. The names of the people in my life who are hardened against the teaching of the word of God and against the seed that he plants, which is his gospel. But I want to give you hope. When you are talking to that person, you have no idea if they will end up being a Pharaoh or if they will end up being a Paul. You might get rejected on your first time. You might get rejected on your 10th time. You might get rejected on your 50th time and 75th time, and you have no idea when that message might sink in. It might be hardened soil and hardened soil and hardened soil, but one day the Spirit of the living God might cause scales to fall from their eyes, and they wake up good soil, receptive to hear that message. That name that comes to your mind, that father or that mother, that brother or sister, that coworker, don't give up on them. Continue to scatter the seed because ultimately their response is not on you. Paul says in Corinthians that, you know, he planted and Apollos watered, but it is God who caused the growth. You're not responsible for whether that person in your life changes. You're not responsible if they ever accept the teaching of Jesus. But what you are responsible for is scattering your seed as you bear fruit. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the teaching of your word. Thank you that it is true and that it can be trusted. And Father, we thank you for the message of the gospel. The gospel simply tells us that we are not good enough to save ourselves. That you loved us so much that you gave us salvation. And that salvation is found in your son who came and lived and walked around with us and gave up his life after living a perfect one and dying in our place because we can't save ourselves. He rose to new life. He broke the power of sin, death, and the grave forever. And Father, when we call on the name of the Lord, we will be saved. Father, and I pray that there are people in this room that will understand today that they need to call on your name, that salvation is found in no other place. Father, if the spirit of the living God is wrestling in people's hearts right now, may they not give up until they deal with it. May they find someone to talk to and may they come to understand that their faith can be in you. Father, for others who are sitting here and who have found you and are walking with you, I pray that we would bear fruit, that our lives every year would look more and more like Jesus as you grow and transform us into his likeness. And Father, I pray that part of that looks like us being relentless about scattering seed so that pharaohs might become Paul's. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you are here and there is something wrestling within you, I really hope you do something about it. 
we have stations up here under both balconies where we have prayer partners, and they would love to pray with you, and they would love to talk to you about the hope that is found only in the person of Jesus Christ. We will have staff in the lobby who will be willing to pray with you out there as well. There is nothing that would bring us greater joy today than to talk to you about moving from death to life. Have a wonderful rest of your afternoon. Happy New Year. We'll see you next week.